During the weeks of this hurricane season, we are exploring the storied storms of the Bible. We do so in order to gain a biblical sense of what we might do in the midst of the storms of life and how God is present in the midst of them. We also do it as a way of avoiding the storms that might be lying ahead that are avoidable um, should we live our lives according to God's will. Today, we meet the prophet Jonah. Jonah's storm-tossed life, I hope, will serve as a wake-up call for us who live in a continual need to repent and to bring our lives into alignment with God's will. Please pray with me. Holy God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, you who are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and right there, many of us flip the switch in our brain and say, well, this story doesn't have anything to do with me. God's never talked to me. God's never called me up and said, hey, I've got a particular assignment for you. This is your purpose and calling in life. You're wrong about that, you know. You and I can flee from God's will. We can turn our backs to God's word, but we can't deny that it has come. We can't deny that God's word and God's demonstrated will are available to us, that we know full well what God wants us to do, and we know full well the things God does not want us to do. There is no denying that the word of the Lord has come to each one of us. The word of the Lord has come to us through the prophets of old, through the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, and yes, in the person of Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord has come to you. The word of the Lord has come to me. You and I can decide not to follow it, but we cannot deny it. And what did Jonah do when the word of the Lord came to him? Well, Jonah ran away from the Lord. He headed in a different direction. He headed for Tarshish instead of for Nineveh. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship that was headed to the place he wanted to go, away from the place that God wanted him to go, and he paid his fare and he got on board. He did this to flee from the Lord. Apparently, when he purchased passage, he told them, I'm getting on board with you because you're going in the opposite direction that God wants me to go, and I'm, I don't intend to do what he wants me to do. How do we know that? Because later in the story, it's revealed that they already know why Jonah's on board. Apparently, Jonah and the pagan sailors on the ship were unfamiliar with Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If, my, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. There's nowhere we can go upon the earth. There's nowhere we can go in the universe to escape God's demonstrated will for our lives. What God has spoken in his word and through his word made flesh is God's will for us. We can try to run away from it. We can try to hide from it. But there's nowhere you can go to flee from God. This part of Jonah's story is evidence that you can run, but you cannot hide. The Lord, you see, sent forth what scripture describes as a great storm, a great storm. So great was this storm that these probably very experienced sailors, these merchants of the sea, were willing to throw their cargo overboard in order to lighten their ship. It's important for you and I to recognize 
that just like Jonah, our sin has real and often devastating consequences. What we do matters to God. And what we do, because it matters to God, matters in the lives of others. There are real consequences for sin. You can turn your back on God. We can run away. We can chart our own course. We can go in our own direction. But there are very real and often very devastating consequences to sin. If you do things that are contrary to God's demonstrated will, things that you know are not all right with God, then God is going to allow the negative consequences of those sins to swamp your life. There's your storm warning for today. If you choose to go in a direction in your life that you know is contrary to the demonstrated will of God for you, you are actually calling forth a storm. You are actually compelling the consequences of sin to pour in on your life. Who in their right mind would invite that? Here's the bad news that follows the bad news. Those decisions have consequences not only for the person who commits the sin, but consequences for everyone who happens to be around them. It wasn't just Jonah that was caught in the storm that was sent forth as a consequence for his sin. It was everybody who was around him in his life at the time, which is to say that when you choose in your life to go in a direction that you know is contrary to God's demonstrated will, then not only will your life be disrupted by the consequences of your sin, but you're going to take down the people around you. You're going to take the people who are closest to you into the consequences of your sin as well. I have a whole sheaf of examples here, but I sense that you get the point. I would love to be able to tell you that God does not care what you do, but God clearly does care what we do. God cares because God has a purpose and a passion for our lives. He has a desire that we should follow his will because he's an egomaniac. No, because he's loving and he's caring and he knows what's best for us. And he knows the future that he has for us, a future that is filled with hope, a future that's filled with purpose and promise. I'm going to just use kids and parents as an example. God has clearly said in his word more than once, which is why I picked this one, that you and I are to honor our father and our mother. We're to honor the decisions that they make. We are to follow their guidance. We are to seek their counsel. We are even to show appreciation for the sacrifices that they make on our behalf. If you choose not to respect your parents, if you make the conscious choice not to follow their guidance, if you make the decision in your life as a son or a daughter to disregard the sacrifices that your parents have made and are making even now for the privileged life that you are living, then you are setting yourself up for a storm. You're actually calling it forth. You're actually saying to God, bring it on. Whatever you got, I can handle. Let me tell you, that hands on the hip attitude toward God is gonna get you nowhere. You might think that it works with your parents and you might think that it works in this world, but it doesn't work with the one who is eternal. All right. In addition to there being temporal consequences for our sin, there are very real, real spiritual consequences as well. Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. Jonah was about to find that out. All the sailors were afraid. Each one cried out to his own God. This is in the middle of the raging storm. Each one of those sailors cried out to their own God. Scripture is telling us there that this is a boatload of pagans. Okay? But this is a boatload of pagans that knew 
that their lives had theological meaning, that even their false gods cared about what was going on on the surface of life. They understood their lives theologically. You and I often fail, Jonah certain fail, certainly failed, to understand his life theologically. This was not just a boat ride. This was not just a day at church. This is not just a vacation on Hilton Head. There is something that God is doing in your life right now. And the events of this day, the choices you make this day, are not just physical. They have spiritual consequences. Your temporal decisions have eternal consequences as well. What we do matters to God because we matter to God. What was happening on that boat, on that storm-tossed sea on that day, was not just a storm. It has theological meaning, doesn't it? We know that because it's in the Bible, right? You and I are writing the chapters and verses of God's story with humanity right now. What tale, what sign will your life be to future generations? Jonah failed to understand that what was happening was theological, which is a bit of a mystery to me because he was the one who knew why he was on the boat. But he was below decks, sound asleep. The captain went down and woke him up and said, you need to get busy. You need to get busy praying to your God. Here is a missed opportunity if you've ever seen one. Scripture does not go on to say that Jonah appealed to God, that God would be merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Things that Jonah surely knew he could ask for. After all, he was fleeing the will of a God who wanted to show his mercy to an entire city by calling them to repentance. God clearly wanted to show mercy in the days of Jonah. Jonah was fleeing from a God who he knew to be merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And in the midst of a raging storm that was not only going to cost him his life, but cost the lives of everybody else on the boat, Jonah, hands on hips, was unwilling to repent, unwilling to call upon God to be merciful unwilling to ask God to calm the storm. Oftentimes we point to Jonah and we say his sin was disregard for God's call in his life. At this point, Jonah's sin is disregard for everybody else. Jonah did not call upon the Lord. At that point, the sailors, because you know they're trying to solve the problem, right? They've tried to solve it by all of them calling on their own gods and that didn't work. And so now they're gonna cast lots and they're gonna find out who on board is responsible for this calamity. And by the casting of lots, they discover that it's Jonah. So they asked him, who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us? They want to know the name of Jonah's God. They discern that by asking lots of questions. What do you do? Where are you from? What is your country? From what people are you? I want you to think about your answers to those questions. And if out of that, you would come up with an answer that actually confessed your faith. Think really quickly. The answer to the question of what do you do? Say it to yourself. The answer to the question, where do you come from? The answer to the question, what is your country? The answer to the question, from what people are you? For you and I, none of those questions necessarily betray who our God is. For Jonah, his people, his place of origin, his occupation as a prophet betray who his God is. Jonah's answer to the question is quite shocking. I am a Hebrew. He should have stopped there because he goes on then to say something that I'm going to judge to be false. I worship the Lord. 
Really, really. You see, worship that is authentic is worship that is aligned with God's will, that acknowledges that God is not only the God of the heaven who made the sea and the land, but that God is the God of this moment of my life. That God is the one who has a compelling will for my life. That God is the one I'm running away from. God is the one even now seeking to bring me home. Again, it is the sailors who Jonah is with who seem to get it before Jonah does. And they say, what have you done to this God? And what can we now do to get this God to stop bringing this storm? Here again, Jonah missed an opportunity. I got all kinds of ideas that Jonah could have used here. Jonah could have repented. Jonah could have said, you know what? I have good news for you. The God of everything, the God who made the heavens and the earth, is also a God who is merciful, who is slow to anger, who is abounding in steadfast love. He is a God who is revealed. He is a God who even has revealed that he wants to show mercy to the Ninevites. He is a God of grace. He is a God of greatness. He is a God who wants to have a relationship with you. And he's actually called my people to be a light to the nations. And that's probably why I'm on board with you today. I thought it was my own will that got me here trying to run away from God. But maybe I'm here to be a light to the nations, to make good on God's deal to all your people. So that when you're asked where you're from and who your God is, you can say, our God is the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Wasn't that a great evangelical opportunity for Jonah? He missed it. Short of that, because, you know, some of us are a little scared to share our faith. I know that. Jonah could have simply said, I've got an idea. Bag Tarshish, let's head to Nineveh. I'm willing to bet that if they'd set their sails for Nineveh at that point, God would have calmed the storm. But Jonah wasn't ready to repent. He wasn't willing to repent to save his own life, nor to save the lives of everyone around him. Sin is that powerful, my friends. If you have ever been in a relationship with someone who is addicted to anything, you know how powerful sin is and how the grip of that addiction, how that disease leaves them not caring what happens to themselves and leaves them not caring what happens to anybody around them. Jonah's behaving like an addict to sin, unwilling to repent, unwilling to bring the calm that is possible in his own life and in the lives of those around him. Jonah says, throw me overboard. That's his answer to the question of how can we calm this storm? How can we get your God satisfied? How can we get your God to stop railing against you and thus against us? Jonah says, throw me overboard. Now, if you actually read commentaries on this chapter, you're going to discover a fascinating thing. There are people who think this is Jonah making a valiant, self-sacrificial statement. Jonah saying, you know what? Greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Hooey, that is not what Jonah is saying. Jonah is saying, I'm going to get out of this once and for all. Throw me overboard. I can't actually, this is, you know, today we have the tragic a uh, thing called suicide by cop. This is the original version. Jonah, unwilling to cast himself into the sea, compels other people to participate in his sin, asking them to do what they then receive as the unthinkable and throw him overboard. These guys have a better grip on who God is, even though they don't know him, than Jonah, who knows him, 
ever has. They say, we're not throwing you overboard. And they start rowing for shore. It is a valiant effort. God's trying to get at Jonah. And finally, something that I find pretty amazing and striking in this passage of scripture, they pray to God. The pagan sailors, not Jonah who knows God, not Jonah whom God has spoken to, but a boatload of pagan sailors caught in the midst of a raging storm, not of their own making, they appeal to God. They cried out to the Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing him. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. They get it. Jonah doesn't. They seem to know intuitively the difference between guilt and innocence. They seem to have a very clear understanding of who God is and what God's will is for human life. They threw him overboard, as you know. And suddenly the sea grew calm. They feared God. Jonah's sin, Jonah's sinful actions, even the storm that arose in their lives because of Jonah's sin, God used for good. Don't you find that amazing? We're often prone to say what others meant for evil, God used for good. Well, even Jonah's evil, sinful response to God's demonstrated will, God was able to use for good. How so? He brought a whole boatload of pagan sailors into relationship with himself. All right. Now the beginning of the fish story. God provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Some of you know what Paul Harvey would call the rest of the story. It was in the belly of that whale or that great fish that Jonah finally came to his senses. We often say that it's not until someone is in their darkest hour, it's not until somebody has gone all the way to the bottom that they come to their senses, that they turn and repent. There is no darker place upon the earth than in the belly of the whale at the bottom of the sea. Jonah found himself in his darkest hour, and in that darkness, he appealed to God. Jonah repented. God saved Jonah. You and I tend to think about salvation as being saved from sin and death, and God did save Jonah from sin and death. But salvation has a whole nother side to it. It's not only salvation from sin and death, it's salvation for whatever it is God wants to do with your life. We tend to call that service. You are saved from sin and death but you are saved for something as well. It's not just what we escape by coming in relationship, by coming into relationship with God. It's about what we get to do, the privilege of living the abundant life that is offered to us. It might surprise you to learn that God still wanted to use Jonah to reach the people of Nineveh. That is a success story, and you should read the rest of the book of Jonah to get a full grasp of how God used him. But God continued to use Jonah as a sign well beyond his own lifetime. And you're saying, well, yeah, you're preaching on it today, so maybe God's using it as a sign today. Well, I want to point to the words of Jesus, because Jesus lifted Jonah up as a sign. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. He's talking to the people standing right in front of him then. You're asking me for a miraculous sign. No sign is going to be given to you but the sign of Jonah for as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be assigned to this generation. The men of Nineveh will stand up against, the, against you at judgment and condemn you. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, 
But now one greater than Jonah stands before you. The sign of Jonah that Jesus was pointing to was three days in the belly of a whale. Three days and three nights. They thought he was dead. They found that he was alive. And those who believed the sign of Jonah in the days of Jonah repented and turn to God. Jesus stands before the people of his day and I believe makes the appeal to the people of our day. The sign of his resurrection from death, three days not in the belly of a whale but in a rock-hewn grave, risen not from whatever state of scariness that Jonah lived in for three days in the belly of that whale, but real death. Jesus was dead and buried three days and three nights. And he rose again forevermore. The sign of Jonah is a powerful sign, and it is a sign that calls us to repentance. The sign of Christ, the sign of Jesus, from resurrection to newness of life, is a greater sign still. You probably know right now, if your life or any part of it is headed away from God, you know when you've charted your own course, you know when you've set your own heading, you know when that's contrary to God's word, you know when it's contrary to God's demonstrated will. If that's true of you right now, then it's time to come about. When a ship is headed in the wrong direction or it needs to take a different tack, bringing it around is called coming about. In life, coming about is called repentance. Receive the sign of Jonah as a call to repentance. Receive the sign of Jesus as the way of repentance. One way or another, come about. Amen.